Hello and welcome to Pit Stop Conversations. I am your host and those Dr. Vishakha Vora. Uh, so, dear listener, we have been exploring various careers under the career cluster of psychology, and a very important one career among them is the field of teaching, and uh, that is something that I want to really put a spotlight on today. And uh, to help me in that is my guest today. Uh, Dr. Pooja Anand. So, welcome, Dr. Pooja. Uh, let me Thank quickly so introduce. Yeah. So, let me quickly introduce Dr. Pooja. So, uh, she is. I mean, of course, to the students of Dalatram College, University of Delhi, she needs no introduction. She is their popular and favorite teacher. But formally, she is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology in Dalatram College of DU. Uh, she has been teaching undergraduate students the subject of psychology for the past more than, in fact, uh, 16 years. And uh, besides teaching, she does a whole host of things. So she has written books. She has translated two scales in uh, Hindi, assessment scales. She has uh, written lots of articles in a leading newspapers of the country. And uh, she is also a guide PhD guide for many of the research scholars working in the, the Department of uh, Psychology under the ages of Delhi University. So that that is a very, very big, big things, lots of things that you're doing. <laughs> so it would be it would be wonderful to, you know, get to know so many aspects of what is it that goes into teaching. So let's begin with that. Uh, everybody thinks like, you know, teaching is simple anybody can teach right and uh, generally uh, students think that you know after i consider all other options then i will consider teaching as an option right mm -hmm. so uh, my first question to you would be this uh, dr uh, puja uh, that what is it that a teacher does besides teaching Teaching is something that is definitely involved and I would ask you more on that a little yes. later but to begin with so besides teaching like what what are the other duties or what are the other things that a teacher is expected to do yeah that's a great question uh, because like uh, you started with the host of the other activities that you are involved in and uh, here I think I get this opportunity also to clear the myth which a lot of the people have that it's you know it's it's easy you know you just what you have to do you just have to get up and you just have to go and you just have to give a lecture no it's not at all that I mean there is a lot of hard work there's a lot of preparation that goes into you know even going and taking a single lecture right so of course you said we'll be talking about that later but uh, if you're talking about higher education being at a college or a university I mean uh, like you began the program with, uh, apart from teaching, I mean, we are doing so many things. We have, we are doing research, we are publishing papers, we are presenting at conferences, and then we are guiding research scholars. At the same time, I mean, there's a huge element of mentoring which is involved in a teaching work, uh, particularly at a higher educational institution. So all that we are doing in terms of research. We also try to inculcate that in our own students, right? Uh, if you're presenting papers, we would also, you know, we prefer to take our students along with us. We train them into doing research. So all these things, definitely. But at the same time, because you're also associated with an institution, 
you also doing the other administrative academic duties which you know being part of that institution you're supposed to do so of course i mean we are doing admissions and uh, you know we are making timetable and in different different committees right for example right now i am the convener of the women's development cell so i am doing all the activities related to that so of course i mean as you can see it's it's a wide range of activities so it's it's a beautiful job i would say i mean to be a teacher and of course i mean the beauty which is added is because of these various aspects you know i mean i have just named a few <laughs> just to start absolutely with. absolutely you 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 are complete you are completely right it is not just teaching and uh, you know i i would like to now highlight on that particular aspect which you mentioned Uh, so when we talk about teaching there is a very popular misconception that mm-hmm. anybody can teach which mm-hmm. is actually not the fact in fact yeah. uh, listeners it would definitely relate to this when if i ask the question which is the teacher you remember whether it is from your school days or your college days and what is it that was special what what was the teacher doing something that was extra something beyond teaching so it was a lot of things which go into teaching so not everybody can teach right yes, so sure. uh, my question to you next yes so my question to you next is that uh, you talked about a lot of preparation even for mm-hmm. a single lecture yes. so uh, i would like you to elaborate on that and in addition uh given the current scenario where you know we had a lot of online classes and which was a sudden transition so from that perspective also if you can just give me you know inputs as to what is the yeah. kind of preparation that goes for a lecture absolutely i mean there are two parts of the question so first of all i'll just talk about you know a usual class that we take and you know in the offline mode see uh, when you're preparing for a class let's say i mean any topic that i'm going to teach for example if i am teaching a uh, flow in a paper on positive psychology so of course i mean uh, you know a lot of the people think that yes i mean you just read a book and you've just read it 5 years ago so you it, it's there in your head and you just go and you just talk on it for one hour no it it doesn't happen like that let me tell you that and particularly especially if you're in higher education you really have to brush up on the kind of material that you are going to deliver in the classroom right so a very important aspect of being a teacher is being highly organized mm-hmm. right and doing a lot of preparation now when you say preparation is for example like let me just continue with the topic of flow that's a topic which i'm supposed to teach in a class so of course i would be reading a lot not just from a book or a textbook but many other sources okay so many mm-hmm. other books from the latest research which is you know happened on the area flow or some let's say some podcasts that i've heard or some youtube uh, video that i've seen so you collect a lot of information and that is how it comes out in the classroom right so when a teacher goes there and stands and speak it is those years of experience it's not just that uh you know preparation one day before not at all it's your own years of experience and then you also tell your own experience you also interact a lot in the class let me tell you that when we talk about teaching it's it's not one way street where you just go and you just you know blabber or you just eat whatever comes to your mind and you know it's not a one way street it is a highly interactive process for me 
okay i interact a lot in my classes i listen to the experiences of my students as well and i learn a lot from their experiences right so it's it's a beautiful journey i would say being a teacher so it, it's not just you know just going and standing and speaking it's much more than that now talking about the online mode well i this i keep repeating so it, it's very fresh on my head because uh, you know in 2020 when when the pandemic hit it was so sudden it was so sudden that we didn't know what to do right uh we were teaching we were taking up classes and it was march i think when suddenly all of this happened so oh uh, you know we were just trying to understand how to continue with our classes and you know but uh, our college was very very uh, you know uh enthusiastic and very proactive in this regard and they ran a training program a three day training program for the teachers in which we learned you know how to operate you know our google classroom how to take classes and everything so it it was a real uh you know that training program was something which really really helped us and because of that you know we've been able to take our classes so yes i mean not only my own experience uh the experience of my colleagues the experience of people across the world i would say as teachers has been to learn and learn you know especially the people who are quite older they would have thought you know that this is the way to be but uh, you know you learn every single day and that's another kind of learning and we are still learning i would say we are still learning right <laughs> every single day so <laughs> it's wonderful your answer actually highlights what makes you the best faculty number 1 <laughs> two it also gives a lot of insight into what really goes into making a good teacher you know because uh, as you absolutely correctly pointed out that it is not just standing in front of a class and you know just blabbering out all the information that you have it is not it is interactive it is uh, like you know based upon a lot of knowledge and information that you have collated through various sources whether it is books whether it is through research journals whether it is like you mentioned social media as well whether it's a podcast or a youtube video and having accumulated that knowledge you collated and presented to the students because they are going to relate to that kind of information in a more meaningful manner as compared to you know just somebody coming and talking in front of them absolutely yeah yeah and i would also like to add that when we take our classes you know it's not just a very lecture kind of a mode like i said it's highly interactive we also show videos to our students we show them movies then we have a discussion so there are various things for example i teach the skill based paper on emotional intelligence now because it's a skill based paper we do a lot of activities right so when it was in offline mode it was of course i mean you know things are much much easier in an offline mode so we would have something which is called sharing circles and we would arrange the chairs in a semi circle and then we would start a discussion on something like empathy or any experience you know related to your emotions and then each one of us would share our experience including me and then we would you know uh, then then go around it right so that is one way of you know uh inculcating or putting something into the class which makes it interesting so these are just some of the things you know and then teaching new 
skills to the students, teaching new techniques to the students. That is what they are highly interested in. So, I mean, as I move through your podcast, I mean, I'm going to share so many things with you that uh, that is what we do in our classroom and not just, you know, taking a lecture, which is a myth which people have, you know. So. Absolutely. And uh, like, you know, as somebody has always, uh, you know, wise, very wisely put it that it's no if you just speak, it's going to be, uh, you know, retained by the student for some period of time. Mm-hmm. If you show them something, the impact will be greater. But yes. if you involve them and ask them to no, do that, something, that would be, that would be, a, so the, the semicircle, uh, you know, mm-hmm. talk and the, the, that's something, such a wonderful idea because that's where when a person is actually doing it, yeah. the learning will stay forever so Absolutely. wonderful that's that's really <laughs> wonderful so that really brings me to asking you what motivated you to become a teacher what was the thing what was the thrust because you have done your undergraduation and postgraduation in psychology in fact you're a gold medalist in psychology <laughs> at the master's level so how did you choose teaching as a profession Oh, well, here I wouldn't say that it was a choice or something. I I would say rather it was something which happened. You know, it was just the course of events, how they took place. So I did my graduation, then my post-graduation. And then immediately after my PG, I qualified uh, the net exam. I qualified JRF, in fact. And because I was getting a scholarship or a fellowship, so I decided to enroll for my PhD. So it, it's just how things happened. And then, of course, I got this job. So I took it up. And now, slowly, I, uh, you know, as I keep sharing with my students, I, every day I'm discovering that it is more, it's not so much of a job as it is a calling for me. So this is how I approach my work every single day. So that's how it is. <laughs> that's so wonderful. So as as a student, when you you were uh, at the JRF level, uh, you mm-hmm. also are expected to teach, right? Uh, yeah, you are expected classes. to a few, a few classes. So uh, would you say that is where your interest developed, or that is where you felt that okay, this is something I enjoy doing, and I would like to do it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you feel that you know we we've all grown up playing those games where you play the teacher and you know enjoy that aspect but actually you know in higher education uh, see i'm talking more about higher education because that's what i know about absolutely uh yes i mean that first kind of an experience where i still remember i would take my classes and i would feel are they understanding or not i mean this this kind of because i was pretty young pretty young i was just 23 something and i was like are they understanding to my own self i would just ask myself and i was like okay i'm going to prepare more okay i'm going to ask more questions i'm going to discuss more and all these things i would just try out new new things and then one day this uh, student comes running to me and uh, he says ma'am i just enjoy your lectures and it's a wonderful experience and you know, that was something which really changed the way, you know, I used to look at myself as a teacher. And really, I mean, the feedback of the students and the way they approach you in the class, after the class and they discuss with you, I mean, it's, it's a huge influence on your own assessment of who you are as a teacher. So all those little experiences, even today, you know, when students, they, uh, you know, give me those beautiful cards or they, you know, write lovely emails after each semester. That's that's a beautiful experience. So, yes, that adds to your own concept or your own, you know, assessment of yourself as a teacher. So that is happening. Happened to me and every single day that happens, you know. 
so it's it's like uh, you know every day you're receiving that positive feedback and you're building upon it and that that motivates you to you know uh, try more harder or even do better and better absolutely. to deliver the best yes yeah, here i would like to say that that was not something which i aimed at that i'm going to be very popular or i'm going to do this you know to look very very smart no i never did that like i started with the idea of being conscientious being highly organized and always trying to you know do the best do the best in the class and that has always been my motivation even today i question myself is, is it going to be okay is it, is it a good thing to discuss in the class what more can i do which exercise mm. or which assignment which creative assignments can i give to the students you know every single semester or let me design a practical in a different way so it doesn't come from the fact that i want to be really you know popular or i really want my students that's to a by product that's a by product of it yes by product so all these things that i'm talking about i don't know when they happened you know when when the students started to come and appreciate i mean that's a by product like you said so my motivation even today is is that little anxiety that you know fear that yes i have to do my best and i have to come across to the students and explain the material to them in the best way possible that's it i mean that's the basic thing that with which i go into the classroom and everything else just just happens so basically <laughs> if i can just sum that up you you are being so proactive in uh, like you know, even before you go to the class or even before you are in front of your students there is so much proactive preparation going on in the background yeah. that uh, you know when actually that delivery takes place that is when uh, you know the students also recognize that you know a lot of effort has gone into this and if my teacher has put in so much efforts i also need to equally give back that kind Absolutely. of you know so attention it, and yeah no it's an unsaid message that the students also receive Absolutely. if yes ma'am has possibly you know if she is able to answer the question if she is able to deliver so much in the class that's the amount of hard work that would have gone in. i think i hope the students understand that because that's the kind of response that i get in the class if my classes are usually the students interact a lot even in my online classes you know which is something i really want to share because a lot of the teachers they feel that you know during the online classes the students may not you know be so interactive mm. but in my class i mean i have never had that experience you know they usually have a lot of questions and we we just come across or we decide on something to make the class highly interactive whether it's using a jam board or any other you know activity like a sharing circle trying to do it online or just trying to reconceptualize things to make things more interesting yes and you also uh, like to use the common in love uh, the psychology students would be more familiar with the, the level of optimum stress that you are mm. under so wherein you it it is motivating you to put in your best effort mm. and it is not stressing you enough to make you worried or anxious it Absolutely. is motivating you to take good action so that, that's that the optimum stress of anxiety that amount of stress is important otherwise Absolutely. you don't know anything right <laughs> cool you know and doing the required amount of hard work. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. So uh, if somebody like uh, if uh, my listener right now is a student who is in class 12th and has studied at the 11th and 12th standards of psychology or it is a graduate student who has studied psychology. So can you elaborate a little more on the procedural elements of like if 
uh, somebody wishes to become a teacher of psychology what are the steps what are the various things that a person needs to do uh, you already mentioned what you did but if you can like you know from that perspective if you can just mention okay. well that will relate more to the kind of uh, essential qualifications that are there for each uh, you know of the jobs that you're talking about now if you're talking about being an assistant professor because that's how you you know you get a job in a college or a university so in psychology yes you should have studied psychology at your uh, you know graduation but basically you should have a post graduation in psychology right mm-hmm. and then you should also qualify the net exam right Mm-hmm. and it's always better to enroll for phd also even though uh, i'm not sure i don't think phd is an essential qualification right now but eventually you will have to do your phd because that adds to your you know knowledge and your experience so that is okay. uh, for being a college teacher or a university teacher uh then if you're talking about at a school then of course you should have studied uh, psychology at the undergraduate level and you should have uh, done psychology at the post graduate level as well and then a bed is an important qualification if you are to teach at a school level this is what i know of yes okay 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 uh, so another question related to this uh, in most uh, most fields like you know we talk about doing your post graduation then taking a few years of uh, work experience and then going in for a management say mba course so is it true uh, for teaching as well that would it be better that if a person has done the post graduation first takes a couple of years of teaching experience and then uh, goes in for a phd or uh, would you say it works better if you have done your phd and then you uh, start a job what do you think is a better option oh well usually you know what happens is that people usually enroll for a phd you know straight away after their post graduation so it's always better that way i think uh, there's no set rule for that or what should be there that you should you should not take a break or whatever i mean it's up to the individual but it's always better if you continue with your research work and everything and you know then of course you get a job so what are what are some of the pros and cons can we discuss on that Uh, uh, like you know, pros and, uh, pro, pros and cons of uh, a person, one person who has done their masters and joined a job first, mm-hmm. and then is contemplating doing a PhD later mm-hmm. on. Uh, say for a university uh, lecturer position, I'm talking about, and another person who has uh, waited, uh, first done their masters, completed, uh, or has enrolled at least for the PhD, is continuing or has completed their PhD, and is now uh, looking at working at the university. Of course, uh, I mean, uh, when you talk in terms of the short term, uh, in terms of getting in, and in terms of the long term career as well, what do you think are the pros and cons of each of these? Absolutely, when you're enrolled in your PhD, you get a wider experience i mean that goes without saying in terms mm-hmm. of research you're doing your own research instead of just talking about the researches which are being done and that in its own right brings a lot of experience to you and okay. a lot of rich experience information to you so yes that adds to your teaching repertoire as well but like i said i mean there's no hard and fast rule that absolutely happens then you know it, it's not good no whatever works for a particular person but then like i said I mean, it's always better to take that higher qualification with you and then of course i mean it will enrich the way you are taking your classes 
Okay. Uh, would you say, I mean, just a thought, because I have also been a teacher uh, earlier in a management college. So, uh, would it be beneficial if you are already a PhD? Because then uh, you, the kind of scale that you are offered, initial scale, oh. is a little higher because you already have a PhD degree. Yes, absolutely. And, absolutely. Right? And uh, plus, uh, the kind of growth that you can then expect is probably a little, little faster. I wouldn't say better. Obviously, it is an equal opportunity thing for all. But then it is a little faster because your one big part chunk of it is already done. Yes, because see, you are much more exposed to a lot of things, you know. Like I said, I mean, doing your own research brings in a lot of knowledge to you and everything, of course. So that is an additional kind of, uh, you know, uh, qualification that you would have. So yes, I agree with you. Okay, uh, so we have already discussed a lot of, uh, you know, qualities which go into making a good teacher and you described a lot of ways in which you kind of bring in that uh, things. But again, uh, like being a psychology teacher and you have been at it for 16 years and you have, of course, definitely would be having students who would be, you know, aspiring teachers or have become teachers, teachers in their they own right. Teachers. They are teachers. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, when you have guided them, what kind of aptitudes and skills would you ask them to develop? Okay. What are the things that you feel are important? Yes, absolutely. Okay, now this is again a very beautiful question, I would say, because uh, again, breaking the myth of, you know, just, oh, it's so easy, you know, you can just get up and you can go to the lecture, no, not at all. Uh, first of all, a very important uh, trait, which I think, you know, or, or a competency or a skill, whatever you would like to call it, is, is being conscientious. Okay, this mm-hmm. is something which is really important to me, first of all. And this is how I work and this is what I feel really works in other jobs as well, not just being a teacher. Uh, yeah. So just, I would, uh, I would, yeah, I was like about to say that. Please explain what being conscientious yeah. is, being is conscientious about. Is, you know, being highly organized in whatever you are doing. Okay, so like I said, I mean, if you think that you're just going to stand there for two hours and just speak whatever comes to your mind, no, it doesn't work that way. If you are going to teach something, you have to prepare beforehand, right? You have to think of the various things to make the class interesting, to make the point across. Okay, so all, all those things, all that preparation goes into it. So it's not random, okay? You have to be highly organized. So this element of being organized, right? Being punctual. All these things, I mean, people may not think of these things as very, very important, but these are very important traits, not just in being a teacher, but I think in any job, these things are really important, okay? Then another thing which I feel is being, you know, openness to experience. You have to be, you know, willing to listen to the ideas of another person or just thinking, oh, no, no, I'm I'm the boss or I'm, I'm a teacher, so I know everything. No. So you should be, you know, willing to learn from other sources, learn from your own students as well. Why not? I mean, the kind of interesting questions that they ask you, their own perspective, of course. I mean, so that is something very important. And then, of course, something which I teach and I've done my work, a lot of my work is on that, which is being emotionally intelligent, you know, and Mm -hmm. that is something which is so important and that is something which you can actually build in yourself. So it's not something that, you know, if you have it or or you don't have it. No, it's not like that. It's a competency which you can build every single day. Now, when I say emotionally intelligent, it involves so many things. Okay, I'll just break it down for you in terms of the four components is that as a teacher, when you're emotionally intelligent, you should be first of all aware of your own self. 
okay if you're not aware of your own strengths of your own weaknesses about your own opportunities challenges whatever you know that evaluation how are you supposed to go out and do that for another person right so you first of all need to be aware of your own self and particularly your own emotions your own weaknesses and try to work on that your own potential first of all mm-hmm. second is your own this big you know domain of self regulation you know managing your own emotions if you are so proud about yourself and you keep dragging in the class all the time or you know you are not able to manage your anger you're not able to manage your anxiety how are you supposed to do that or at least train your students into something like that okay so self regulation is extremely extremely important and being organized like i said then of course uh, you know being empathetic you know being able to understand the perspective of the other person like i said i mean being a teacher you would say oh wow you know i'm i'm the teacher then you know whatever i feel whatever i think is is the best so you're never going to look into the perspective or the rich you know ideas of the other person so being able to understand the emotions of another person in particular because we are a teacher so teaching 50 students teaching 60 students being able to understand their perspective their emotions and then of course i mean uh, as a teacher your communication skills are very important your interpersonal skills are very important all these things something like you know developing the talents of your students all these things so when you put together that's why i prefer to use the term emotional intelligence rather than you know these skills separately because they are brought together into this beautiful a uh, competency of emotional intelligence so yes these are the things and of course you know that passion that passion is very very important you know you can just take the same job and make it boring absolutely boring okay and just do the needful okay uh, lowest common denominator as you call it you could do that or you could just take a very simple kind of a job and just make the most of it and make it the best right so it's up to you that's what i think awesome awesome that's <laughs> such a wonderful explanation i mean wow <laughs> thank you thank you for that in fact uh, i think just to add to what you say i mean of course you have given in such detail but just a little addition that it's also important to realize as a teacher i guess that you know every student learns in a different way so when you are presenting your material whether uh, the the student is learning in a visual way so then you need to show visual things whether the uh, you know uh, student is learning in an auditory manner so whether it's the sound of the pitch of your the confidence in your voice is making a difference whether a, a student learns through doing things kinesthetically so then you need to do activities so each yes. of this because each style learning style is totally different you have and to, you know include all these things and we have, exactly. have to be aware about these things and it's yes. only when you integrate all this in your teaching module as a part of the way you are doing the teaching is going to make the difference to the every student not just a particular kind of student absolutely now i would like to add something here that a lot of the times you know there there is a bunch of students who is highly vocal they speak a lot and you know you would see that there are certain uh, teachers who would say oh yes and they keep interacting only to with those students i mean that doesn't help you have to involve even the student who you know the student who doesn't want to talk you don't have to coerce them into talking you know you have to come up with something else and try to involve them in you know in the different activities that you are doing so yes you have to be aware about that so uh, just as you were talking about this uh, how 
challenging was it to involve students online? I mean, you said you were able to do it, but uh, most teachers, most teachers have, you know, kind of said that, you know, getting them interested to even switch on the camera and be there <laughs> has been own, very... I have my own uh, techniques for that. I, uh, I always switch on my camera, okay, uh, when I'm taking a class. So I always say, huh, you know, Asana, who that sometime I bump into you and I'm not able to recognize you. How can I recognize that you are my student? So it's better if you switch on your camera. So I, I use these kind of things, you know. And of course, when we're interacting, so a lot of the students on their own, I mean, they switch on their camera, yes. So which is, you know, you have to come up with all these things. And then we, of course, do activities in which we're supposed to share and then, you would say, okay, now you've spoken. Would you like to add something else? You know, you take the name of the student and if they say, no, ma'am, I don't feel, it's all right. Maybe next time, you know. So you do try to, these are the kind of ways that I have tried and my classes have been interactive. I would like to add here that, yes, I haven't uh, gotten bored in my classes or whatever because every single time there, and of course, my students are really, really wonderful and they look forward to the classes as much as I do. So, and we also, you know, pre-plan a lot of activities. For example, I tell them, okay, next Monday we are going to do this activity on a Jamboard. Or this time we are going to do this activity. Okay, so bring in your pencil color, bring in this, and we are going to do this activity in the class. So, when you also tell them what, you know, they are going to, yeah. you know, uh, be involved in, in terms of the activity. Or right at the beginning of the semester, I always tell them, okay, so this unit I'm going to be you know, teaching this month and we are going to do this and this we are going to take up in, in this month. So, you know, when you sort of give them a timetable or plan something with them, would you like to do something? You know, mm -hmm. get, okay, what's your idea? What's your take on that? So they love it, you know, instead of you going and imposing everything on the students. So that's one thing. Now, one uh, a very important domain in which I get to do this creativity and this interaction is, uh, you know, when, when we are deciding on the assignment, you know. So, instead of just doing a very simple kind of an assignment, we try to think of something which is highly creative, where they are supposed to, you know, incorporate that practical element and they are supposed to, you know, collect some data, do some interviews. So, I, I try to do those things a little bit here and there to involve the students. And, of course, that works. Yes, it has worked. I think... <laughs> All the other teachers also who are listening probably would get so many tips from this. Uh, because yes, I, I totally uh, agree with you there that, you know, involving them. And I really liked the idea where you tell them, uh, you know, much in advance that this is what we are planning to do and this is how we are going to do it. So you are building up that, building up that curiosity. You are, you know, making them feel that, oh, let me attend so that I get to, and if I miss, I will miss something really nice. Yeah. Yes, maybe. So, I mean, that's the kind of thinking the students are. Yes, right? so that's that's something very nice. And that's not tricking them. That's actually getting them yeah. involved, getting them on board. So that's wonderful. And uh, even for assignments, like you said, you know, that uh, get their ideas, what kind of assignment they would like. Do you like, yeah. Because, you know, in the online mode, we all know that how the students are feeling, you know, particularly at this time. So, you know, discussing with them, okay, is this interesting? Does, yes, ma'am, this looks really interesting. Would you like to do something on your own? Or they can make small groups of their own and they could just, you know, do their data collection, whatever. So I always take the opinion of the students as well. 
and then I see, I mean, way before difference in terms of the way they are performing and they are understanding the paper. So I think that really matters. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it would be, but just to get a confirmation again from you, all this involvement and all this, uh, like, you know, hands-on things that the students are getting and uh, experience that they are getting, does it really then translate into really good marks as well? Because they are so involved, how does how does that work? I'm sure there must be a positive correlation, but I'm just wanting to yes, they, confirm yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. See, we should not forget that, yes, of course, whatever they are studying, they have to take a end semester exam, right? So that is always a, a, a concern or something which we are uh, interested in, yes. But like I said, that as a teacher, we should not just be thinking about, yes, they should be, you know, topping the university, they should be getting very good marks, but in terms of the practical experience as well. So you have to put everything together. That should not be the sole concern, but that is the concern, yes. But like I said, if you're involving the students, if your students are understanding the nuances of each of the things that they're learning, I mean, like we were talking about, yes, the marks are going to come, yes, why not? Why not? And I think uh, maybe the teachers would probably have a concern. I mean, as they are listening, I mean, if a teacher is listening here, whether it's a school teacher or a college teacher or a university professor, uh, would you, do you think there would be a concern? Ki it's so easy that what she is saying, but doesn't it take a lot of time? Will I be even you know, able to complete my syllabus? Uh, because that is mandatory. I have to. So what's your, what's have, yeah, yeah, what has been your experience? Yeah, like, in like I said, I mean, if, uh, if I'm teaching a skill-based paper, I know I have to do a lot of activities okay but if i'm teaching a theory based paper so then the amount of activities that i'm going to do are going to be less but then i'm going to play around more in terms of the assignments in times of just taking an extra class and doing some workshop kind of a thing with the students so i have to you know take into uh, account the requirements of a particular paper and then of course i mean any paper i mean you can take it and teach it in the most boring and theoretical way possible or you could just take a paper and you could just, you know, of course, I mean, you have to make sure that they understand the concept, but which way, which way is absolutely up to you. Okay, so you spoke a lot about preparation and we also talked about a lot of other things that you are doing besides teaching, whether it is on a daily basis at the university or whether it is like, you know, besides that, you're also doing research work and writing and this, that. How do you really organize your day? That's what I would like to know. Well, day is very easily organized because, uh, you know, I usually, I uh, work in, in, the, in, in a very, very organized way by, you know, I usually maintain a diary or I usually use my phone. So, in fact, even before the beginning of the semester, I think about what which papers am I getting to teach. And uh, what are the kind of practical, what are the kind of assignments that I'm supposed to do. So I plan it according to the month, okay. So that's a larger kind of a goal that I set. And then I set many goals, of course. I mean, this is how I teach my students as well, that you have to think, of course, in terms of long-range goals, medium-range goals. Okay, so I, I didn't work the other way around. So I have a, you know, like you have a name in your life, right? So you then set goals. So I what am I going to do 10 years later? What am I going to do five years later? What should I be doing? So that's how, if all of them are related, I mean, you can do wonders, I feel. Right? Mm-hmm. So instead of planning things like, Achha, mujhe, 
कल क्या करना है you know it mm. becomes very easy when it's related to a long term goal right so i have mm. planned these out that way but especially when you're talking about teaching yes i plan even before the beginning of the semester you know what am i going to teach in july in august in september okay so by october then how how many classes am i going to do the revision with them and what kind of questions we will be discussing so all all these things you know you plan way way ahead that makes it easier to plan you know every single day it it makes it much more easier rather than you know just taking things as they come in i go into the more you know organized kind of way of okay so uh, it's being planned systematic organized is is a very very important part of you know making sure that you are able to manage your own schedule also in a way which is which is not very taxing which is not of course it would be challenging at times i agree but it is not taxing it is enjoyable it is something that you are because you have planned it so well yeah uh but what about like you know now many many students they often come and complain but ma'am we don't know we are not organized at all and there are people i mean it is a different personality characteristic altogether so uh, i mean from your viewpoint definitely this is a core personality characteristic right uh, so what are some of the other personality characteristics you would say are important and uh, we will also then a little while discuss like you know what if somebody is lacking this then we will talk a little more on that but firstly okay. what do you think are the personalities uh you know traits or personality characteristics which would really make a person stand out hmm. in this profession okay like i said uh, you know i have answered this question before as well that when i said being conscientious okay being organized and hmm. being hmm. punctual and you know having that passion for your work whichever hmm. work you are doing right i also tell my students that look at your what you are doing right now if you look at it as a work that you are doing okay so Can you wake up with that kind of a you know spirit? Okay, that this is what I'm supposed to do. So yes, like I said, that when you also look at the research work on you know being organized and not being organized, usually people who set goals, okay, and then they keep measuring their movement uh, towards mm. their goals and how well they are doing. They they fare better. in life in terms right. of uh, you know achieving that also this is what i tell my students also and we often have a lot of discussion in the class some of the students say ma'am it doesn't work for me i say it's all right i mean but i do give them this research background but uh, we also do a lot of exercises in the class you know to help the students understand the idea of goal setting mm-hmm. and how it works i also give them my own example and then i tell them to okay try it out just try it out and see for yourself that you know if you're not thinking about anything and if things are way too ambiguous as compared to yes when you know what you're supposed to do and just try it out for yourself and then you know they come with their own feedback and their own experience so yes like i said i mean you just go there and you tell them something they will not follow so much as when they experience the same thing and then make a decision themselves we don't have to force our ideology or what we feel onto the students i mean they are Brilliant students are, you know, intelligent in their own rights. Of course, they know what's best for them. <laughs> we are just supposed so, to, you know, 
yeah so i guess uh, as as a mentor mentor you are identifying their strengths and asking yeah. them to you know kind of live up to those strengths yeah. and why work upon think, their weakness why should yeah. i think that the way i do things is is the best no a lot of the times you know the students have their own strengths and weaknesses and their own point of view so i tell them to explore and like i said i take into the viewpoint of the students as well and whatever they want to say and then of course i mean there is a structure in the classroom as well yes but a lot of the times you know when you involve the students like that they they do work and they they do wonders in the classroom in their life yes okay uh so uh, you have uh, most of the time you are uh, involved in teaching undergraduate students yes. right and you are also a guide for phd scholars yes. now uh, there is a lot of difference in the both of course age group and as well as the way they are supposed to learn mm-hmm. uh, at an undergraduate level it it would be more where they require more direction more uh, you know more tailored approach whereas as a phd uh, research scholar you need to you know make them search for answers and so what are what are how can you you know talk a little more on the differences between the two and how challenging it is with each group for you okay like i mean of course i mean there is a slight uh, age difference yes when you are an undergraduate student yes so a bit of hand holding more hand holding is there when you are teaching mm. an undergraduate student you have to give them more material you have to guide them right but like you said in a phd student you are much more experienced you have done your post graduation and everything so there yes there i feel you know the idea of motivating them to do their work and think about what more they can do that goes more rather than telling them a child you have to do this thing you have to keep motivating them okay think think of how you could say the same thing in a different way think of how you know where the research gap is and what is your contribution what is your original contribution you know think about it so you have to sort of tailor you of course you motivate the undergraduate students as well but in a different way so here it is more like you know sort of training them motivating them guiding them to do something which is original to present their work in a wonderful way to go and present their paper at a conference to publish their work and to you know have much more long term kind of a thinking in terms of you know whatever they would like to do in their lives and how they are progressing in terms of their career so yes yes a bit of a difference but otherwise you know it's it's the same thing because you are taking care in a way I and mean, this is what i do and uh, i keep checking on my students as well so i didn't hear from you i hope you're doing well and then i get to know that you know yes man yes ma'am. i was you know busy in this and that so that kind of i mean i have that habit i do catch up with my students you know even though they completed their phd or they completed their graduate i do Yeah. Uh, has it ever happened with you that mm-hmm. uh, you know you have taught that student at the undergraduate level as well mm-hmm. and uh, of course have you know because you have taught at the undergraduate level know the student really well mm-hmm. and uh, that same student after doing their post graduation has now approached you to be a phd guide mm-hmm. and uh, then the student comes up to you and says ma'am aap to mujhe acche se jante ho you already know me so <laughs> you only tell me what to do you only decide what does that happen <laughs> that happens many times many times and of course i mean i have a different range of students who are working on me not just my own students 
But uh, in terms of the students who approach me, yes, a lot of them, ma'am, you know, I have studied with you, I would like to work with you. So yes, that happens a lot. But uh, the number of seats that we have is very limited. So, you know, we have to tell them that you know, this is the right. limitation. But otherwise, yes. No, but my question is like then is uh, I mean since you have handheld them at the undergraduate level is there an expectation from them that Abhimi you know now also ma'am will be handholding and you know and and is there then a, you know suddenly when ma'am says ki no you have to do this now on your own is there suddenly a you know no, shock for them that hasn't happened uh, okay. with me all my PhD students are you know they have their own way of thinking and they come up with their own ideas, which I think is a wonderful thing. I mean, I really appreciate that. And that's what I admire in a student, having your own point of view. That's what I encourage in my class, that have that kind of a critical thinking. Ask me questions, okay? If you disagree with me, please come and say that. I would love to hear that in my class. So, yes, I, I do that. And my uh, PhD students also, I mean, they're brilliant. I mean, they have their own point of view. They think on their own. So, it, it's nothing like that. Yes, of course, okay. they expect their teacher to guide them. And that's with the students also who have not studied with me. I mean, it's so simple, but it's a wonderful Okay. Yeah. And have you also had uh, PhD scholars who are way older? You know, somebody who has, you know, at, after a very long time has actually no, thought of doing it. Till now. Okay. Uh, the students who are working with me are, you know, straight after their first graduation. Okay. Okay. So, Okay, okay, okay. Uh, now, uh, when we talk about our educational curriculum, generally, uh, you know, one often says that, you know, there is a gap between what one is learning in theory and, uh, you know, the practical knowledge or practical application. So what I'm trying to get to here is like, you know, uh, most students or many students, they don't feel prepared enough or confident enough to uh, start working. Uh, because they feel that, you know, uh, whatever practical work or whatever knowledge we gathered is not enough. Or in real life, the application is completely different. So firstly, is that true, especially when we are talking from a psychology point of view? And if it is true, then what do you do as a teacher to kind of bridge that gap to make them ready for, you know, stepping into the world of work? Uh, again, a very good question, I would say, because if you just think that I'm here to teach and just, you know, complete the syllabus and make sure that the students are getting good marks, I mean, then you are not doing justice to your job. I feel that because when I take my classes, I always, there's, there's a very famous statement, which I keep repeating and my students may have gotten bored by, by that, that please try to interlink everything that you're studying. Okay, mm. just because you are through with your first year and you've done individual differences, you've done social psychology, doesn't mean that, you know, if it's a different compartment in your head and you just don't need to refer to that, no. Leave. Or you forget it, that should also oh, you not be. you forget that I got very good marks, so, you know, now I'm in my third year, so over and done with, no. Whatever, and not just your undergraduate uh, syllabus, whatever you have learned, I mean, this is how your mind functions, isn't it? You can't separate things and say, okay, this is my third year and this is what I'm supposed to do. So interlink each of the things that you're studying, okay, and try to see how they relate to each other, right? And not just the different papers in psychology. Also, the other things, the other experiences that you're having, find out what, what is going on in other fields as well, what is going on in philosophy, 
what is going on in economics, what is going on in political science. I mean, try also to have an interdisciplinary approach. This is what I do. And therefore, it also comes across in my classes in terms of the examples that I give. Hmm. Okay, in terms of how I motivate my students to look at a larger perspective. This, this is the term which I keep using in my class. And you have to collate, you have to integrate information rather than this is separate and this is separate. So if you have that perspective, I think you take things along definitely. Right? True. And uh, in psychology, I mean, we have this very added advantage that we have practicals. Mm-hmm. Right? So the kind of practicals that we design are mostly so that we are giving them a rich experience of understanding things in a much better way rather than, you know, just from a theoretical perspective. So that's what I do in my class. And uh, of course, I mean, uh, the students these days, they do a lot of internships, right? They are involved in a lot of workshops. And then when we also organize different functions, okay, we involve the students. For example, Mm. if I am organizing any program in, in any of the committees, I would rather want the students to take the lead. Okay, they should be hosting, they should be asking questions, they should be organizing everything. So that that's how, you know, we are training the students rather than, you know, of course, you have to be there in the background, you have to guide them, yes. But you don't have to, you know, do everything and then, you know, expect the students to, you have to give them those opportunities, right. So that's how we uh, should be able to, you know, uh, address this issue, yes. But uh, like I said, I mean, the practical aspect has to be there in your mind when you are interacting with the students. And that's how they are also going to inculcate the same attitude in them. You know, that I don't Mm. have to mug it up or I don't have to just, uh, you know, rote learn. I need to understand. And then I need to understand how, for example, I ask my students, okay, if you were to design this practical, okay, so Pooja Man has designed this practical, done, okay. If you were to design the same practical or the same variables, how would you go about it? I ask these questions. So then that encourages them to use their own mind rather than, mm. okay, Pooja ma'am knows the best and she is going to do. So that's, I mean, these are the little things that, you know, I do in my classes, which I hope, I mean, inculcate these kind of things that we're talking about. Yes. Wow. So, uh, yes, I you have actually, uh, you know, uh, highlighted something that I also keep on believing. I believe in it completely and I keep on repeating it to, you know, my uh, students and my clients as well that no learning ever goes waste. So as you very rightly said that don't think that I have completed this paper this semester and don't need to you know ever worry about it or think Mm -hmm. about it. Because when the focus is only on marks that's when this happens. Absolutely. Right. But like when you rightly said that when you have that approach that, you know, what I'm going to learn is not just for now, it is Mm -hmm. going to be definitely useful somewhere or the other down the line. It's for life. It's for life. life. Exactly. And plus, when you have that kind of proactive approach that let me think if I was a person like you talked about a practical if i am designing it yeah. how do i go about it so yeah. my my question for you was this uh, this question was also specifically for the reason that you have also on the board of you know uh, designing the syllabus so as uh, so for that uh, i mean you are so proactive when you are actually implementing the syllabus but as a as a person who is uh, helping or giving suggestions for the designing of the syllabus 
what are the kind of things you would you know emphasize on like you know because obviously uh, things are new things are coming because that is again a common complaint that many students have that oh the theory theories we are studying are old or the practicals that we are doing are also old so how is it that you are trying to bring in that change when as your role when you are you know trying to help in redesigning of the syllabus okay in that sense yes of course i have been part of the committee in which you know of the designing of the syllabus the cbcs uh, curriculum particularly so the things that we have in mind is basically yes you have to look at what is required for the students to learn at this stage and something which is going to bring out the best in the students they are able to compete internationally okay so you have to talk about something which is latest right Absolutely. At the same time, you also cannot forget what what has been done and what is important. You have to interlink it. So that's what I kept in mind when I was part of that committee. That yes, you have to look at what what the other universities are doing across the world and how mm. you would like to sort of which are the things you would like the students to learn. For example, having a paper on emotional intelligence is so important. You know, and Absolutely. in fact, I would say why would we study emotional intelligence at a college level? Why not? right from the school level why shouldn't we have training programs for parents for teachers yes this is what i have been doing with my center as well so uh, yes i mean all these things are important you just don't need to think about okay this is the kind of you know syllabus that the students have to learn no the other skills and competencies which are required by them not just technical skills but the social emotional aspect you know right. i think that is very very important and that should be part of the curriculum that's what i you know i tried my best to have out and you know so i hope it yes i can see the results also and it really helps the students to be learning these kind of things at the college wow great so and i do hope that your efforts you know continue and you actually help students to learn and get the things which are the latest in the world so that they are at par yeah. with the best of the students across the world i think yes that's a, it's a wonderful way that the wonderful thing that you are doing actually uh now coming to this question now teaching uh, generally is not seen to be very lucrative like if you look at you know the hierarchy in terms of uh, the earning potential students often say ki, you know that is again one reason why they don't want to consider this as an option because they feel it's not very lucrative but uh, besides money there are a lot of other things you know as a teacher that you are earning that is why we have this respect for teachers you know so can you can you elaborate can you give your inputs on this Well, I always share my you know, experience with the students, and of course, you know, if you look at the teaching profession, and not just you know higher education, but school teachers as well. I mean, this is one profession which is considered a noble profession, right? Throughout the ages, and why is it considered noble? Is it is another profession which has a lot of intrinsic meaning. and it says right a lot of the professions you would feel that you know you really have to create meaning in that but this is a profession there is an inherent meaning in that right and the brilliant or the most beautiful part of being a teacher is that you have those 50 60 70 students with you who are the young minds of the country right and you are supposed to interact with them you are supposed to bring out the best in them 
I feel this is one way of contributing to your country, to the society per se, right? And this is what I, you know, when I'm also talking to my colleagues, I mean, this is such a beautiful thing to be able to contribute to the betterment of any one person. And here we are getting the opportunity on a daily yes. basis. And not just interacting with our own students, we are also interacting with students from other departments, we are working with them, we are also, you know, talking with students of other colleges, of other universities, and it's, it's I mean, the best profession according to me, because there is just so much, endless, endless potential in this beautiful job. I agree with you. You yes, teaching is one profession that contributes to nation building. I completely yes, agree with absolutely. you there. So it's very fulfilling, and it's very very meaningful. So yes, what else? What else? <laughs> absolutely. So having said that, I mean, uh, why is it then? I mean, if, if this is such a beautiful profession, teaching itself, and. Uh, Within teaching also, especially I would say a subject like psychology, which in itself inherently, because it is related to human beings and human minds and, you know, your own personal self, it is so, it is so attractive. But then why is it that we see a lot more females as compared to males? You know, why do I don't see a lot of boys even today opting for this field? And in fact, uh, when there is such a need, there is such a need to understand, you know, both viewpoints or to have uh, practitioners from both, uh, you know, uh, from a male perspective and a female perspective, because each of them bring their own strengths, right? So uh, why do you feel that there is this, uh, you know, disparity between the number of students, or number of, you know, uh, and <laughs> what can we do to change that? In terms of being attracted to this profession or this discipline, I don't think there is a disparity. Everyone wants to study psychology. Let me tell you that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if we are not able to, if we are able to or we are seeing such a disparity, it's because of the limited number of colleges or educational institutions which are okay. offering psychology. So instead of thinking that males are not getting, you know, attracted to this profession is a misnomer, I would say. I know mm -hmm. a lot of the boys who want to study psychology and they want to do something. So we have to look at it from a systemic point of view that yes, and why should we have psychology in a few colleges? It should be taught in all colleges, all educational institutions, and then I'm sure you will not see a disparity because males are as interested and as passionate about this discipline as a female. So any disparity that you see, I would say, would be more from a systemic point of view, not from the okay. not in my opinion. Okay, so I think if any of our listener is in the, you know, in the government or is in the position or a field where uh, you can bring about this systemic change, uh, please, please, I would recommend a listener to do so. And in fact, if you know somebody who can be the person who can bring about the change, please be the instrument to bring about this because this is so important. Yes. This is so important. And uh, especially now when we are seeing a lot of emphasis and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, knowledge, growing knowledge about mental health and the importance of mental health. So having having a lot of people working in this field is so important is so important absolutely, absolutely. and uh, so we need to train as many as many students oh, of, as possible are interested. everyone is interested in psychology everyone that i know <laughs> 
Yeah, so creating yes, so creating those opportunities is we very important. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Dr. Pooja, this has been such a wonderful conversation, and uh, we have learned so much. And I can again at the end of this conversation, I can again really see why you have won the best faculty award, Dr. <laughs> Sarvapalli Radhakrishnan Award, basically for the best faculty 2021 for psychology. I can see why you are so popular among your students, and I can see that how you are really inspiring students to love psychology, and you know really bring up it and i'm sure after listening to this podcast a lot of my listeners are going to be really willing to explore teaching as a profession because you have highlighted so many beautiful things in it thank you thank so you. much it has been great to be talking thank to you today you. on this it's been a pleasure thank you thank, thank you. you so much and uh, dear listeners so after having this wonderful insights today our next focus is going to be on two very important institutions family and marriage and both of this when uh, there is you know both of these institutions are related to a uh, so many close relationships that we are you know involved in and if there is uh, you know there is disharmony or discord or there is some kind of you know disagreements happening within this particular circle then it creates a lot of stress it creates a humongous amount of stress so my next guest would be someone who is working in this field so basically she is a family and marriage therapist and uh, we are going to get a lot of inputs from her again in terms of how to really you know bring about changes in these you know the way we interact so as to have you know that common mutual aim of having peace and happiness within that you know unit of whether it is family or a marriage so i'm sure it would be very enjoyable for you to listen so stay tuned for the next episode of my podcast as well and we will be continuing having so many interesting and wonderful conversations with lovely guests that you know who thankfully i am able to you know get on the podcast because i'm really grateful to have all of them here so really really looking forward to having the next conversation as well and thank you so much dr pooja once again it was wonderful and a great honor to talk to you thank you so much ma'am thank you so listeners stay tuned and make sure you listen subscribe and do share it with so many people who you think would benefit also from listening to this podcast and getting this information thank you and take care goodbye